This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it, man. I know it, I know. Welcome to the Soft Wide Vlogcast. This vlogcast, it is a vlogcast featuring poker, featuring hot topics, featuring current events. And we will talk about it all. Of course, it is your host, Christian Soto, along with my co-host, Matt Big Bet Alpha Reg Berkey. He has a ton of nicknames. You will learn more about them later on in the show. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, there was a lot of spicy topics this week. I don't know what you're talking about. Calm week. Nah, it was not a calm week, Mr. Berkey. Uh, there was a lot of spicy topics. Corona's featuring... gone. Black Lives Matter's gone. Nothing's gone. Every, everything's fine in the world again. No, nothing is gone. Everything is still present. And we're going to talk about it all, except the topics that uh, people don't want us to talk about. Sure. So there are some topics that people do want us to talk about. And it's your current state of poker beef. I don't know. There's a beef? There's a beef. Mm. You and somebody else uh, are in a, a dispute. Sure. And it all started with your stream. Let's get the original focus. So you have a beef with this one man named Poker Guru. He is a young man affiliated with ACR, and he is launching a training site. Mm -hmm. And what happened is that you said something. So I'm going to pull up what you said about him and how this whole entire thing started. So it started with a speculative hand. Sure. 9-8 suited. Okay. He opens off of just shy of 20. I think I can 3-bet get it in here. I don't think I need to 3-bet large. 60 seems pretty good. Okay, so you're 3-betting 7s here. Oh, my God. He called off with 9-8? <laughs> Oh, wow, what a punt. What a fucking punt. I can't believe that somebody who is smart enough to try to, to wait out the pay jump would raise call off of 19 with 9-8 suited in that spot and then just, like, rip a double gutty on a flush draw board. The debate obviously spilled over to the Twitter streets. But before we get to that, the talking points... There was some debate about the 773 bet. Oh, yeah, you're three betting me with sevens. You should be all in because it's a snapshot of all in, right? Okay, fine. Your sizing was not great. All right. No, the sizing's right. I don't I don't know what anybody's talking about. Mm -hmm. Two and a half X at those depths is certainly correct. Uh yeah. I, I don't know why we're having this like big long debate of whether or not I should go larger. Mm -hmm. I don't think going larger really accomplishes anything. He's opening off of twenty. We're putting a quarter of his stack at risk. Like, I, w I should have three bet folds in that spot, just like I should have three bet get ins. Anything larger commits me. Obviously, that size is correct. Mm -hmm. Whether or not I should three bet sevens, sure, it's debatable. You could shove, but there's a massive ICM implications. I'm second or third in chips. Hugh needs the chip leader in the big blind. And playing an all in pot here with 15 left or 16 left seems really silly and unnecessary whenever I can just isolate the guy who opens with nine high off of 19 and apparently a lot of people were just saying like you know standard open no big deal like okay fine but everything that happened thereafter compounds off of the open right so it's like sure maybe you don't expect to get just three bet mm -hmm. and you expect to get shoved on more often then you do get three bet but you forget about what the initial the initial incentive was to begin with right and it was just a steal 
And how are you stealing? You're opening into the guy third in chips. The big blind is the chip leader. So it's just like this opens not getting through. You're under-realizing your equity for sure. And then once you face the three bet, it's like, yeah, you have a plus chip EV call, but you're definitely losing money on ICM. Mm, okay. Okay. So now we see a flop. It goes check, check. The turn, you make a, a set. Yeah. Right? He bets fairly large, effectively committing himself. Yeah. You shove, clearly. Mm. And you say it's a punt. Well, I mean, him calling... Uh, yeah. That was that was obviously an emotional reaction. The punt was playing the hand. Yeah. Right. So like when I say he called off with nine eight, like that's such a punt, yada yada yada. It's it's not the bet call on the turn. I mean, I think open ripping turn is not great either. Mm. I think Does, I would be like fairly confidently calling with ace king high. Mm-hmm. Um, because but, you think that he can't really have a queen <clears throat> open ripping a queen there. Well, I know for sure he probably doesn't have a jack. Right. Right. So it's like. If I have ace-king, his only real queen would be king-queen. And it's like, I'm going to heavily block that. So I just imagine I'm going to be against draws more often than not. In any event, that's also a byproduct of how much he's under-realizing that spot. Out of position, nine high. You know, flops a gut shot, turns the double gutty, whatever. And, you know, the the counterpoint of like, oh, well, if you don't turn a set, you lose his hand. It's like, no, I don't. Because he doesn't open shove if he only has a gut shot. I see. So you're saying if the turn is say like a deuce, you you expect them to just check, and then you check or bet or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So then this hand plays out on stream, and then it spills over to some tweets. So now let's pull over, pull up the tweets, and I'll kind of walk people through this. So Poker Guru, seven forty says, "Hi, Berkey Eleven. My friends have informed me that you were not so nice about a hand we played in, in your recent stream. It is clear to me you really don't understand what you are doing, math. But since you think, I'd, I'd, since you think you do, I'd like to challenge you to a two-month-long prop bet. Then it says, can we get a link to the not-so-nice hand, which is the one we just saw. And it said, nah, we'll keep that mysterious. I only made a call that nets me 10% equity. Wild, I know doesn't really speak about ICM, but Berkey doesn't understand math, I guess. Let's run it, buddy. You got two likes on the last one. Um, okay. You respond with, the call isn't punty, it's the open. The call just compounds, and the 10% you're earning is chip EV with 15 left. Uh, you're going to say ICM effectively is greater than chip EV or dollar value. I literally play eight MTTs a week maximum, so not interested in a volume bet. Sorry, I offended. Feel free to fire up a stream and show us your talent slash trash me. I'm all ears. Surely you're a talented player. Why would you not be interested in a bet skill? Sorry, this is like, I have a weird uh, angle here. He's just basically saying like, obviously you're good. Why wouldn't you be interested in playing somebody you think you're better than for uh, a high volume bet? Uh, and he's willing to prolong the time frame longer than two months. It's a long bet. What we didn't show was my response to that, which is I'm insulted that you think my time is worth so little. Mm. Like, I don't have two months to sit around and grind fucking volume. It's insane. Like, you know, even during quarantine, this is the most online volume I've put in since pre-Black Friday. And I've probably played 100 tournaments. He's trying to do like the Galphon challenge where it's like, it's you not know. not like the Galphon challenge at all. It's not even close to the yeah. California challenge. Yeah. Well, it's not, but you know, he's trying to make it seem like, hey, this really long bet. We'll see who's better. 
Gavon is playing for a million dollars. Yeah. And has like strong reason to do so. I have no re honestly at the time I wanted to just ignore it because quite frankly, I had no fucking idea who this guy was mm. and didn't care. And all it took was looking at his profile to see he was an ACR shield to just be like, oh, I really don't care now. But yeah, it just kept escalating. And he kept like saying, I don't understand Matt. It's like, listen, if if we're gonna take a if we're gonna take tests on what our knowledge is, what our comprehensive knowledge is of math, of language, of anything across the board, mm. poker included, I'm happy to sit down and do that. Like it's just silly. It's like I have a four-year degree in computer science. We have to take extremely advanced math throughout the course of that. I certainly can figure out something as simple as pot odds, which I'm certain that he understands as well. Right. He's just disobeying some things that I think are pretty bad. And that's fine. We can agree to disagree on that. It got heated, man. It's get, it's got heated. I uh I'm trying to see his side. Like Let's try to try to play his side for one second. You don't shove, which would be considered the standard play. Small three bet, he calls, which would be considered fine. On the turn, he's repping a rather polar range versus you presenting a capped range. He can't be polar on that turn. Mm. Right? He's presenting one. But he called pre. Right. So he's saying 19. Right. So he doesn't have jacks. He doesn't have queens. He has like. Doesn't have aces. Doesn't have kings. Maybe a little bit of aces. <laughs> uh why yeah i'm with you i'm just saying maybe he has a little bit of aces he might argue he has a little bit of aces right he might argue he has uh maybe some ace queen no okay stop it i'm trying i'm trying to play like i'm trying to see like how can this work you want to play from his side it's like he got he got upset his ego got bruised if i called out every single person who examined one of my hands and trashed me i would be exhausted right right it's like play the fucking game in the public eye, let people say what they're going to say and move on with your life. If this hand was reversed, I would get filleted for playing 9-8 that way. That's true. There is nobody who would make an excuse for playing 9-8 that way if it were in my hands. So you think it's a, like I, he just felt bad that you spoke bad about him? I think he felt bad and I think he's clout chasing. Mm. Well, he's out there and he wants this battle, man. So I think the people need to know He's lucky I didn't take him up on it. I won two tournaments in like a week. I've played like 10 events since then, and I'm up like 50K. Mm. Um, so the first go-around of all this, uh, I was super annoyed that this guy who I've never heard of, who as far as I can tell by searching, is likely to be a break-even or losing player, calls me out, tells me I don't know how to play, don't know anything about the game, don't know anything about math. I don't even care that he tells me I'm not good at poker. Mm. Say I don't know anything about math is where it becomes insulting. Um, I, I've been playing poker for 18 years. I'm certainly not going to take a bet that involves me playing $11 MTTs. <laughs> right? It's like I've graduated past certain things. And I'm not saying I'm too big for an $11 MTT by any means. Like if push came to shove and I woke up tomorrow and had to start over, I'd be right there with everybody else. But my time has a certain fucking attachment to it right now it's worth a lot to me and you know i'm putting in 50 60 hours a week just in the business alone high stakes cash is running my roi or or my return there is a lot greater i'm certainly not going to do things that are going to hinder both my short and long-term prospects right so i'm annoyed 
Mm-hmm. I fired back. I shouldn't have, maybe. I should have just ignored him, flick him off like a bug, let him go his way. But I didn't. And I offered him a counter. And the reason was because I saw he played high stakes on Poker After Dark. So I was like, hey, let's play live cash. I don't care if we play heads up. I don't care if we play six max, whatever. Let's just build a game around this. And he replied, LOL, volume. As if like two months of MTT grinds Mm. is representative. Maybe he doesn't understand math. Could be feasible. Um, In any event, you know, I basically said like, I'll play any stakes you want. And I'll play any format you want of live cash. And we can stream it. We can do whatever you want. He's not interested, right? So we've been playing a lot of high stakes on WSOP. 1020's been running almost every day. 2550's been going off all the way up to 100, 200. So I put in my third session of 100, 200 the other day. Seats were open and I just happened to feel a little frisky. I wanted to remind this guy that while he's grinding $11 MTTs on ACR, we're out here playing for cars. And he's available. If he's available, you know, would love to have him. So I fired back again. And it very quickly escalated into him wanting to keep pushing this bet. So basically, I offered him both sides. I said, look, I think you're doing this just to get caught for your new training site, which is strange to me that you have one, because from everything I can tell, you're not a winning player. So I'll do you a favor. Let's crossbook the WSOP. That'll give you your MTT side. And then from the cash side, we can play anything you want from 1020 all the way up to 100, 200. We'll live stream the whole thing. I'll give you all the footage. You can review it on your fucking site and you can rationalize away everything that happens. And we'll go our merry way with the results. First, he asked me to DM him privately instead of just discussing it openly. It's like, okay, fine, no big deal. But then he, uh, I think it's like super disingenuous to apologize publicly or privately when you've been filleting somebody publicly. Mm. So he starts to apologize in the DMs. And I'm just like, you know, I'm sorry that I don't take this sincerely. But when you, when you basically call me a snake oil salesman in public and then try to apologize privately, I just think you're a coward. Mm. And I don't, I don't walk back any of that. I think that that's wholeheartedly true. So, you know, we continue to go back and forth a little bit. And I just said, look, this is the way that I see it. You're clout chasing. You have a big fucking mouth and you want to run this big gamut of a challenge. You think you're good at poker and you think I suck. So here's the offer. I'll play you any stakes that you want between this spectrum. We can get a cross cross book on the side if you like. And I'll do a cross book for WSOP bracelet events. And he basically starts like walking back saying like, I'm on my own. This is a, th- this is too big for me. Like I'm not a cash player. You are, uh, you know, as if like somehow any of this matters, mm. right? Like we're both poker players and like, how could he just qualify himself as an MTT specialist with literally no fucking results to speak of? Mm. So then this spilled over to Twitter. So then you put this out. What made you, what made you put this out? Well, I basically just tweeted cause I was pissed that all of this was happening in private. And I think that, like, you know, he's just being very disingenuous to what his actual public tweets are. So I just tweeted and said something to the effect of, like, uh, DM'd Guru to set up a crossbook. He just wanted everybody to know that he's apologized and walked back on everything that he said. And he, like, kind of replied and said, like, don't put words in my mouth. That's not what happened at all. Yada, yada, yada. So I was like, okay, here. Here's the proof. 
Mm. You guys judge. So now what? Now what, Brick? What, 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 what do we do? Like, what nothing, do you... Nothing. What's there to do? Who is this guy? Who the fuck is this guy? He said he's known in the online world. In the... What? He, I literally... He has no resume to speak of. None. I've never heard of this fucking guy. I saw him on Poker After Dark, and I was like, who's the businessman? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm with you. I, I feel as if... Why, why do you feel like people come at you, man? Why do you feel like people come at you? Because I'm an asshole. Because I'm doing this right now. Because I, I, li Listen, I woke up that morning and I was just like, I'm not Phil Gelfond. I just, I can never be Phil Gelfond. I'm not that zen. I grew up grittier, like just fighting for more. Like I've never been that talented at anything mm. where I just internally had this calm where it was just like, come at me, bro. I don't care. I'm just, I'm Farrah Galfon. <laughs> I'm Farrah. I can't take it. It's just, who the fuck do you think you are? You have to earn respect. Like he said something in, in the DMs of like, uh, you should show me a little bit more respect than that or you should be more respectful from that. After he's like slandering me in public. Mm. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Respect is earned. Like you're not going to talk down to me and then demand respect from me privately. It's like, I'm here to tell you that I don't respect you at all. As a person, as a poker player, as a coach, none of the above. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bite my tongue over this stuff. For the last five years, I've done my damnedest to like turn the other cheek. It all started with the Polk thing. It was like, okay, let him say what he's going to say. I'll just turn the other cheek. You know, it's better for us to take the high road. Uh, I, I took ownership of bailing on that game. You know, and I, I just tried to, like, do my best to be uh, diplomatic about it. Yeah. But now it's like I'm getting trolled by somebody who's, like, grinding an average buy-in of $12. Get the fuck out of here. Nah, he's probably averaging more, but I get your point. Yeah, I, I get your point. I get your point. It, it's you, you feel as if you've reached a certain level. Like, you've played really high stakes. Like, you've played the super high roller bowl. You've done all these things. And, like... I mean, I don't even care that I've played those stakes, right? Like, I don't think that defines somebody's worth. I don't think that defines somebody's uh, ability or uh, the cloth that they're cut from. I care that, like, I've sustained this career for 18 years profitably. Mm. Never, never like, swaying once, right? And I've, I have won at all those stakes, right? It's not like I've just played them. I've been successful at all those stakes. I'm not running around, like, touting my resume, but, like... You know, let's let's call a spade a spade. And it, it just gets like, I get it. This is the hill that we die on because, you know, the second that you open a business within a mm. business community, you become some sort of like, you know, target of, of sorts. And it's like, that's fine. I, I can accept that. And for the most part, like, I do let it roll off. But it's like, this guy's affiliated with, a, with an online site. This guy has some sort of, following and is now about to launch a competing product squash it right don't let it get trapped put an end to it before it even begins mm. i thought it was about time i was like you know i was a little tired of you always turning the other cheek it's like all right well finally like took a little while honestly like it, it's so immature and it's so petty and it comes off so i guess like sophomoric 
But at the same time, are you not entertained? <laughs> you That's know? the whole thing, yeah. Like, poker Twitter has just been a fucking... Not, not just poker Twitter. Honestly, Twitter as a whole, given the current state of affairs in the world, has just been, like, such a drain. Where it's like, you can't open it without a new Corona stat or two people bickering over one side or the other of the racial coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Chris, and, you know... Chris D'Elia <clears throat> with 16-year-olds. Yeah, like, now all of a sudden, all of Hollywood's getting canceled. And, and you know, then that spills over into poker Twitter where poker has just been, like... It's it's really wild, actually, because everyone's home and everyone's playing. And, like, when the, the last time that happened was pre-Black Friday. And that was when poker Twitter was first starting off. Bro, you couldn't open Twitter or Facebook without seeing a... Uh, a rail post or uh, a profit graph. Basically, mm-hmm. like, you know, we were all young then. We were all in our 20s just getting into social media. Yeah. We were playing this game for a living and had the ability to display it. So, like, that was all you saw. Now everybody's home playing on some fucking private club, getting skinned alive by the rake, and no one wants to talk about it. So all of a sudden, like, all of the content in in the the poker arena, at least, has just, like, completely disappeared. So it's kind of a nice welcome distraction. I hope you all enjoyed that welcome distraction. And now it's time to talk about Rake. (laughs) (laughs) There's been some talk about Rake and the WSOP. Of course, the WSOP will be starting their online bracelet series. Ryan LaPlante does a pretty good job of dictating the problems. And he puts up this tweet. The rake structures for upcoming WSOP.com bracelets are as follows. $40 for the 360, $50 for the 450, $60 for the 540, $77 for the 750, for the 950, that which is ironic because the 50 for and the the $50 rake for the 950 and 450 are the same. $75 for the 14, 25, and finally 160. He goes on to say. The normal rake on a 500 for a 500 on the site is 465 plus 33. They've increased the rake on these events from the typical 7% to an absurd 11%. So, pretty high rake. A lot of players were saying that this is similar to what you would see in a live venue. This is not an online typical rake structure. And a lot of people are firing back. They're just saying, like, they're not happy with this. They feel as if they're getting taken advantage of. They know that WSOP just assumes that they're always going to play it anyway, no matter how high the rake is. At what point does it stop? So that's where we're at. We're very short, couple weeks, couple days away from the WSOP online series. I definitely want a bracelet. I, w- I would like to have one. It would be a nice thing to show my parents that I finally did something <laughs> with my life. They came here from the Dominican Republic, said, I want you to go to law school. I want you to do all these things. I ended up being a professional poker player, and now my sisters have the company, the family company. So you got a podcast. I do have a podcast and a nice, uh, you know, I get to tell the tale of the tape of you and some guy, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's nice. And now I get to play some tournaments at my house. So I think that they definitely are taking advantage of the fact that they are WSOP and they expect people to play it anyway because of the allure of the bracelet. And people like me that like 
I don't have a bracelet. There's a lot of players that don't have a bracelet. There's players that want more bracelets. Like, so, and even like the recreationals would love to have a bracelet to go back to their home game and tout that they have a bracelet. So the allure of the bracelet is so strong that it's going to bring people in. The allure of the softness of the tournaments potentially are going to bring people in. Will, the, will it be soft online? I don't know. WSOP with that knowledge just says like, we're going we're gonna to rack up the rake and you tell us what you're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. And that leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it just feels wrong. Now, I don't know, like, will I speak with my wallet or will I just, you know, that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about right now. Let me ask you something. Okay. If you sold Christmas lights okay. for a living. Right, that's what you did. You manufactured Christmas lights and you sold them. Mm-hmm. They have other uses outside of Christmas. People probably buy them throughout the year. You have a very busy season, though. Yeah, it's very specific to Christmas. Yeah, you sell at a discount? No, of course not. You sell at the same price? No, we wouldn't. Right. Welcome to the WSOP. Their market share doesn't grow throughout the year. So it's like flowers on Valentine's Day. Yes. Yeah, I used to pay like three hundred for that. Yeah. <laughs> dozen roses on Valentine's Day, 300 bucks. Dozen roses any other day of the week, 30 bucks. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is just a fundamental misunderstanding of how business operates. And the fact of the matter is, when demand greatly outweighs supply, you get to do whatever you want as the supplier. Now, of course, you want good faith actors and you want people who aren't going to gouge you. Mm. But they're, they're not exactly gouging. They could make it 20% and you'd all still show up, period. End of story, right? They just put it in line with what they do live and they should, right? I don't like it. I don't want to pay extra rake. I want to be on the side of the players. But until we band together and say, fuck you, I'm not playing event one and publicly tout that, right? Rally everybody together and get a thousand people to not show up. Move their numbers and they'll lower the rake. But like until you do that, They have no incentive to because throughout the rest of the year, the other 11 months out of the year, their clientele does not grow because their liquidity is restricted to New Jersey and Nevada. Mm -hmm. People aren't flocking to either of these states to play online poker, right? So their, their bottom line is fixed. The WSOP represents a huge chunk of their bottom line every summer. It's been taken away. You want them to just give up on that revenue? while still offering you a service. Also, the rake is the same as it was last year. You just didn't notice because they didn't run small events. You see they give a rake break at the higher events. Why? Because it's a higher event. No. The rake's always smaller the higher you go. No. Why do you- I mean, very slightly, but not not to this degree. It's like half. Mm. Why do they lower it at the higher price point? There's less demand. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. We just learned Econ 101. You don't have as much demand, so you give people incentive to play. So you think it's a demand issue? The, the, the fact that, like, kind of how I started the conversation, it was simply people are going to play, and they know that they're going to play. Yep. So they just charge more because they're still going to get the same people. And even if they get more less people, the fact that they raise a little bit higher, they still make more. And they're not going to get less. Mm-hmm. They're just not, right? There's nothing else going on for anybody to do. You know, the entire World Series festival has been reallocated to online. People are going to play. So why are people going to play? This is the thing. Like, okay, so there's no guarantees. Right. So people could just say, we're not going to play. 
Like they're not, they could. they're not going to lose out on, there's not going to be an overlay. Right. There's not going to be anything like that. They could just right. say, we're going to play, we're going to play on ACR. We're going to play on GG. We're going to play on party. We're going to play on these sites. And it's like, you know, let's cut the bullshit. Like people are playing on those sites sure. through mediums and those sites allegedly are turning a blind eye. So there's other options. There's a lot of other options. So can the community just say, we're not going to play? Like there's a lot of other options. They could. They could also do the same thing with ACR and say, like, as a community, we're not going to play until your bots go away, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, this is an issue that keeps getting swept under the rug, and all of the shills are going to tell you that there aren't very many bots. The fact of the matter is, they're getting discovered all the time, all the time, right? And, like, Stars just released uh, yes. their, their security report, and I'm sure they did it because they felt confident in the numbers that it wasn't going to sway anything. We don't hear from these other sites, Right. And I don't know how much of that is turn, turning a blind eye. I don't know how much of that is that it's actually a big problem that they haven't wrangled in yet. But the fact of the matter is, all of these sites benefit from botting and these other things taking place because it still drives, it, it increases traffic, right? And a lot of the bots are unsophisticated. So they're not doing all that well. I, they're winning, obviously, mm-hmm. but they're not like beating the best players. So, you know, in a large in a large way, they kind of go pretty undetected because they're playing smaller stakes. You know, they're sucking up EV from the bottom of the ecosystem. It is what it is. The whole reason I'm bringing that up is because when you say like, okay, you could just choose ACR over WSOP. It's like, yeah, you could. But the thing with online is you can just do both, first of all. Right. Secondly, at that point, now you're choosing slightly lower rake for a bot-infested environment over a bot-free environment with slightly higher rake. So it's like, pick your poison, right? In some instances, I would much rather pay a slightly higher premium to know that I'm playing against humans. That's fair. It's definitely fair. But then there's, a, there's a, you know, there's other options too, you know, that may or may not be, you know, in people's yeah. best interest. Again, like now you're putting on more risks. Like, are you willing to VPN into GG? No, not knowing like if they're going to get more strict. They're partnering with new entities over and over and over again, right? They're partnering with WSOP now, which is a regulated site. Maybe you don't want to put yourself at that risk, mm-hmm. right? So then how do we... Okay, if the community wants a lower rake, how do they speak? Because... Don't show up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you poker's never going to become a union. It's not going to happen. And, you know, by and large, we lack industry leaders. We just don't have them. There's no voice for the community. There's no one person to rally behind. Mm. The entire community is just utterly divided. You right. think so? You think if Phil Goffon today said like, "Hey, like," we I want think it. Phil's the exception. Yeah, like, but but my point with that is, I don't think Phil wants that responsibility on his shoulders. Nor should it's he. also it's it's also feels like he put himself in a predicament where it's like he he's a, he's a he, could be, he could be a little biased where it's like, oh, don't play WSOP. It's like, right. oh, but you have your own site, so. right? So that well, that 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 that's the slippery slope, right? Phil's in the position that he's in because he remains neutral. Mm-hmm. If he does suddenly become that rallying voice for the entire community while being an operator, it becomes a lot more tricky because in a lot of ways, he's going to be speaking out against competitors. Uh, and I think he's done a really fantastic job. Like he's actually speaking uh, positively about most of his competitors and mm. he's trying to seemingly enhance the online environment for everybody. The whole point that I'm getting at is like, you think Doug Paul could do it? I think he has the platform, but I don't think, I, I think that, he is a good example why we don't have industry leaders. We're all so divisive in our beliefs, right? We don't have 
like I think Phil is a great example of like why he makes for a good ambassador. He's very thoughtful and mindful and you know, he leads in a very um I guess like diplomatic way. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like he's very neutral in his approach. And I think that's good. Like, you know, he put out a blog post the other day and he said, usually I spend like a week or so writing these out, but I rushed this one because of, of what the discussion has been. It's like just the fact that he's willing to say like, it takes me a week to empty my thoughts on paper, comb over them, comb over them again, have somebody else comb over them and make sure that everything is the message that I'm trying to send. That shows like how diplomatic and neutral he is trying to be where like, obviously that was never Doug mm. and like, even that's never going to be me. That's never going to be, uh, I guess like Ingram to some degree tries to like play both sides, but I don't really think that Joey's neutral and I don't think he comes off as neutral. I think that like, you know, he just doesn't ever take a hard stance one way or the other. I want to continue that topic through a different vein. So I want to bring up the average age of the WSOP main event. Uh, and the average age has been going up. So here we go. So 2010, the average age of the WSOP was 37. As you see, almost every year moving forward, it's been consistently going up. 2018, the average age now is 41. What this is showing me, at least in part, right, is that there's no, there's less and less young money coming in. Now, there's been a lot of different reasons for this. Like people say, like, oh well. Since online is gone, there's no satellites into the WSOP main event, so much harder for people to get money, things like that. I think it's a little bit of the young crowd. Like, okay, how I got in was like I saw the I saw Tom Dwan playing Poker After Dark, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this kid's young. I relate to him, and he's from Jersey, and he's beating up all these old heads on Poker After Dark, and he has like a cool style. Yeah. So I want to know more about this. Yeah. And it's a lot of money. There is none that doesn't exist. So you could say, oh, there, there's no TV money because there's no online money. But there's no young, like... There's no heroes. Yeah, there's, there's no, only anti-heroes. Yeah, there's no young guns to root for. Right. Like, and... Everybody's an anti-hero with the exception of, like, a select few who people feel like they do the best job of mimicking the solver. Honestly, the hero has become the machine. Right. We've amplified the solver now to a level where people are cr critical of the most successful in this industry because it doesn't follow a necessary blueprint that a calculator has demonstrated to us. The dream is different. Right. We've aged out in a big way. Uh, and I kind of brought this up the other day. Um, Negrano was asking for questions for his podcast. And uh, I questions been, for his podcast. Yeah. I've been I spend hours, hours preparing for this podcast. I don't ask nobody questions. I don't I don't I don't cheat. I don't do nothing. I just come up with my brain and say, what are some important topics that people want to hear about? You know, I, and I try to get a pulse for the people. I I, I, I I read everything. I go on everybody's thing. Hey guru. That's what you're supposed to do when you're not Negranu. All right, well. When you're on the grind, you got to put in the fucking work. Fucking guy just says, hey, guys. He has a half a million people you can just ask. Oh, just tell me what you want to talk about. Right. I'll, I'll tell you. This is my point, though. So this is a discussion that I've been having for a while now. I don't think it's feasible for anybody to achieve Daniel Negranu's influence in poker ever again. Or at least not without something catastrophic changing in the industry. 
I think that um, you know we may be facing a a shrinking uh, community, mm. and a lot of this is, you know, basically I, I was making the argument that though Negreanu is charismatic, though he is a good table talker, though he's very good at poker, and all of these characteristics, a lot of that didn't matter. A lot of that, or a lot of his success now, is just a byproduct of being cherry picked during a time where there was only a handful to choose from. So guys like him, Helmuth, Antonio, uh, the old guard that's still revered as the household name mm -hmm. that has profiles three to five X. I, I mean, if you look at like Negranu's reach, Helmuth's reach, Antonio's reach, and then we look at the three biggest profiles outside of that from my generation, maybe we look at like a Galfond, an Ike, a Jakun, uh, or or a Polk. Mm. Negranu dwarfs everyone. Negranu has more of a following than that entire collective put together. Yeah. It's like right? Negranu, Ivy. It's just... Yeah. Oh, yeah. How could I leave Ivy off? It's insane. Right. Uh, mainly just because he's so private, right? Mm. But, like, the fact of the matter is that that group is untouchable. And the reason behind it is that they were a selective group during a time frame when this industry was booming and a lot of money was put behind them for churn. So they had major industries or, or major businesses within the industry putting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars behind them to build out who they became. We'll never see it again. We'll never see it again. And I think Polk has demonstrated like what the boundary is of what you can build without any outside influence. And it's like, you know, somewhere between 100 and 200,000 followers, which is a fraction of what the actual poker community is. It's a fraction of the household name reach that a guy like Negranu has. And as my as my generation begins to age out, which is what we're seeing in this in this graphic with the World Series, right? I'm 38 now. So I might represent the upper bound of my generation, but like I think Gelfond's like 35, mm -hmm. you know, Jason's like uh, 33, 34, something like that. So like we're looking at the mid to late 30s beginning to age out. We're gonna move, we're gonna move on to other things. We'll still play poker, right? But like we're gonna age out as well. And where does that where does that leave? Exactly. Right? What's that next generation look like? Because the Brad Owens and the and the Andrew Nemes, they're not that young either. They're like on the, I mean, I actually think Nimi's older than me uh, and Brad might, Brad's younger for sure. But like, I still think he's in his thirties. Okay. So I still think he's like the bot or the lower bound yeah. of this generation. Right. No one in their twenties has, has this kind of like trajectory. Right. So the, let, let's talk about the 20 year old. So we're talking about very, very few. We're talking about Fox, you know, Fox in, we're talking about. My Spaniard friend that I'm forgetting, Mateos, Mateos Adrian yeah. Mateos, like I don't know. And then like the know, European, Linus, yeah, the Linus, Europeans that have like yeah. been crushing online. Yeah. The the thing that you associate with that entire group though is anonymity, mm. right? We didn't even know who Linus was for a long period of time, right? For sure. Uh, and yeah, it's like you know, Adrian's a killer, Foxen's a killer. Like these guys are very good at the game, but they're very wealthy at a young age, like wealthier than the vast majority of the guys from my generation were in their 20s and we had free money mm -hmm. during the the online boom right so you know i i i see them as like tacticians that will just play this game at the absolute highest stakes available 
until they just can't. Mm -hmm. And they're going to make all the money doing it, but no one's going to remember. And that's not a bad thing. It's just bad for the game, right? It's bad for the growth of the game because now the 16-year-old who's downloading a poker client for the first time and playing on his dad's account or whatever is still idolizing Negranu. Yeah. And then you'd think that's a problem. For sure. Yeah. For sure. There's no... And if he's not idolizing Negranu, he's just idolizing a, a bunch of pre-solved charts that he got from Range Converter or, you know, uh, a, a Finding Equilibrium video. or, or So it's interesting like because, okay, so people saying like, oh, online and there was TV. You know, like the new generation doesn't really watch TV. It's not like they're like tuning into NBC right. at 12 a.m. Like they're just on YouTube or they're on TikTok or they're on whatever, you know? Yeah. So... But there, there is poker content on YouTube. But even if you look at the content creators on YouTube, we're old. We're all old. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, we're not in touch with the 20-year-olds. With the it's, it's why there's that, like, hard divide between serious young up-and-comers. And, like, we capture the rec audience. Mm. But they still don't see us the same way they see Negreanu because there's a hierarchy. Right? They may recognize Brad Owen and say, like, he's a celebrity. If I see him, I'm going to ask him for a picture. Right? They may recognize Marley walking down the hall and say, like, i got to get a picture with her. I know her from YouTube. But if they see Negranu, they are starstruck. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like if I ever see Durr. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, to me, Durr is like... Like his presence, yeah. yeah it, it's, it, it's next level. Right, it's just like, that's Durr. Like, that is like the reason I play poker. It's like, like I could see somebody else. Like, it's like, yeah, like, you're cool. But like, you're not Durr, you know? Right. Um, Baseball's suffering from this, too. They have a huge messaging problem with their up-and-coming stars. If you remember the the early to mid-2000s, and granted it was during the live ball era when people were using PEDs, but everyone in the world knew who Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire were. Yeah, why do you always leave my man out? Who's your man? A-Rod? No, like my man Sam. Poppy? Like Sam. Oh, like how you leave Sam? He was in. He made that thing too. Uh, he was such a second fiddle though. Yo, when it was Maguire, it was Maguire and Sammy. Like, they both made that storyline. But, right, but it was only that year. Uh, here's, the, here's the irony. The reason I leave Sammy off is for the same reason why baseball is a messaging problem now. He wasn't elevated, right? His numbers are insane. Mm -hmm. He actually hit more home runs than Maguire in his career. Nobody knows Nobody that. Knows that. Yeah. Nobody knows that. Maguire hit 50 his rookie year, right? And he hit over 50 like four or five times in his career. So did Sosa, which nobody knows. And uh, a lot of that was just due to the messaging issue, as well as like Sosa got busted with the cork bat. Sosa got busted with the PEDs before everyone else. Maguire got busted with a bottle of Andro sitting in his locker. Not busted. Like it was it was legal, mm. you know. And he was just like, yeah, what do you, you don't use Andro? I don't understand. And everybody just like forgot about it. And then he went out and hit 71, and, you know, he was a celebrated hero, and then Bonds just shattered it the following year. Like, that was the other thing is that I think Sosa and Maguire both hit over 50 the following year yeah. when Bonds hit 76. Right. And it was just a story, like, that you couldn't duplicate. Bonds was, like, out of this world. He hit 76 and was walked, like, 220 right, right. times For or sure something. sure, it was wild. But the whole point I'm getting at is, like, yeah, that was centrally focused on home runs and – uh I can't even tell you who won the Yankees were winning World Series, mm. right? But nobody knows. The pennant chases weren't important. It was about the individuals. There are no individuals in today's game of baseball. Mike Trout 
is one of the best talents MLB has ever seen. Like, he is LeBron-level talented. He's in a market that's dead in Anaheim. No one fucking cares. It's not a market thing, though, because we've seen market not matter as much. Like, we, we've seen this in, in basketball, where it's like Cleveland's not a big market, but, like, LeBron's just so big that they made, like, he made it a market. Right. KD. But, but LeBron, LeBron's like very special, mm-hmm. right? Because, and, and KD is very special. You look at Tim Duncan and, right. uh, and, and Robinson in San Antonio. Yeah, but they were boring. They were boring because uh, the, it was a it was a byproduct of the market. If they were in L.A., man, you would have heard about them. Nah, San Antonio was boring. San Antonio was like known for being boring. Like, right? I get it. Yeah. I, I understand their play style was also yeah. boring, but it, but it doesn't matter if he was just getting buckets right. the same exact way in L.A. He would have been Shaq level. Yeah. Right. It's just it's it, it's a byproduct of being a small market. Clyde Drexler is another great example. Yeah, for sure. Played for the Trailblazers during the era of Jordan and was dwarfed. Mm-hmm. So poker doesn't have a, like there is no city market problem. It's just like right universal game, mostly an American. Game. Well, it's, there's there's a weird dilution, right? Because there's literally no objective criteria whatsoever, uh, to the point where we lack transparency to our own fault. Right? There's no real objective measurement of baseball, but there's enough statistics where you could start to say things aren't an anomaly. Bonds is a career 300 hitter. He's a good hitter. Right, we know this. Mm-hmm. You can objectively say that, and then from there you can like begin to rank. So what you'll never do is pin down what the top ten is, but it's very clear who belongs in the top ten. If you ask the universe who the top ten best poker players in the world are, you will have lists yeah. that include Jamie Gold and Chris Moneymaker. You'll have other lists that include ten people that you and I may not have ever heard of, mm-hmm. and you'll have everything in between. There is literally no measuring stick. And that's why people love Pio, because now you can measure people's mistakes at least to some degree. And once you find people fallible, this is why we have a marketing issue. Because once you're able to find people fallible, you reduce the gap between you as the everyman and them as the accomplished pro. And now all of a sudden, it appears to the naked eye that we're all on the same playing field. I think that's a good point. I think that's a really good point because then all of a sudden I'm like seeing Durr and I'm just like, oh, I could beat Durr. Right. I could be in that game. Right. You know? Right. And you have no idea how much money he's made. Right. We all have agreed community wide that Hendon Mob and tournament scores and things like that just aren't great measuring sticks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're nice bullet points on your resume, but like not necessarily indicative of how profitable you've been as a player. So, you know, outside of online graphs, which if you're in America, you just don't have, there's no way to measure. So let's go over to a game that is booming recently. And that's chess. They have had 10x their original viewership recently. And it's a pretty big deal. They've like started surpassing uh, poker and some people really caring. So they ran this campaign where they're getting some gamers to come in play some chess against another gamer and they kind of have like some commentary from people that actually know what they're doing so i want to show a little clip it's kind of a funny clip it went a little it went viral uh of two gamers playing and then this gamer makes like a really like a blunder Good. and then the game's over process here because when you bring out the bishop like this uh it can become very vulnerable right away so i'm not sure that i like the 
like the variational approach here? No, please don't. And it's too soon. It's too soon, Hikaru. We didn't even reach a climax. So that went viral mostly because like he made a big blunder and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, so the guy like he checkmated him like quick. Yeah. And also the funny part of you know she's saying like you know it's too soon. Yeah. And things like that and then, like toy with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So this has gotten a lot of attention. The, their their campaign it's uh from chess.com. And they're effectively like, I assume paying some of these gamers, you know, probably not like a large amount, but just to come on stream, have some commentary from people that actually know what they're doing. Obviously every now and then they get some good clips like this and it's working. It's working a lot. They have 10 X their normal viewership. They've, there's a lot of buzz on, on the chess and people are saying like, okay, can poker do this? Can, is it something that would work and i don't i i think there's something to it if kevin hart was on there if the, with a gamer and it was me yelling at the top of my lungs don't do that don't i think it might work you know i think i think it has a little bit of a of a trajectory there the issue that we are or at least thinking about is like okay how many people do stick like how many people stick around because you know the conversations i was having yesterday was like okay you have to build this magnet that is a strong magnet and passing people through this magnet some people will stick if your magnet sucks it doesn't matter how many tricks and loot right. and, and 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 hoops you pull through so i think poker and chess are polar opposites in this regard the barrier of entry to play chess is zero mm -hmm. right it's free so that can happen you can just have a gamer play a grandmaster and it costs no one anything uh, and obviously the gamer is going to get embarrassed <clears throat> um due to the lack of lack of luck there's no variance in, in chess it's a fixed board right because of that there are very concrete objective ceilings that people can obtain and the issue with that is it hurts retention right if you know out of the gate you're restricted to being less than a grandmaster there isn't a whole lot of incentive for you to study chess for a lifetime mm -hmm. right also, if you know out of the gate that being a grandmaster doesn't really come with all that many benefits or it's going to take a lifetime of study to get there, right? Then again, it's like a little bit dissuading. So the actual, like if we look at it through a marketing standpoint, the actual uh, casting a wide net and getting eyes to the game is a lot easier for chess because it's easy for people to play. There's super low barrier of entry. Um, they really just need to understand the rules and that's probably the most difficult element of it. Uh, but largely speaking, you can capture, uh, short-term retention. Retention is a massive issue though, because people just aren't going to have the time and dedication to doing what it takes to become great. Poker is the opposite. Poker is very difficult to funnel in new eyes and new money because it's a complex game that's rooted in gambling and has uh, a high barrier of entry from a cost standpoint, right? You can lose money and significant amounts if uh, you're not very good. But the retention of it is phenomenal because there is no objective measuring stick. So all you have to go off of, of whether or not you're good, is how you feel. Mm. And that's it. The difference between you and whoever we perceive to be the greatest player in the history of Earth 
at the game of poker is opinion. Yeah. It's all opinion based. There's absolutely nothing that can quantify the difference between a, a regular Joe and a seasoned pro. So Poker Guru is right. In what regard? <laughs> He's right. Poker Guru is right. He he might be better than you. We uh, don't know. I mean, by his opinion, yeah, he's he's better than me. Mm. But I like to tell you. There, I mean, there is something objective about poker. It's money won. Yeah. Now, of course, there's variance in in all of that, and people can run above expectation for a lifetime, an opportunity. There are so many compounding effects that uh, result in bottom line that it's very difficult to ever like confidently say he's winning X amount of big blinds per hundred. Right. right. But that said, it's not that difficult to confidently say he's a winning player he's not a winning player yeah that's fair that's fair okay so there is some barrier though and i think it's the complexity of chess so i want to play a little bit of a strategy like a strategy segment of chess i don't understand chess that well and i know you don't that yeah. much either yeah so i want to play a little bit of this strategy uh from chess but if he pushes pawn up is that position where my queen is like where my queen is there, is that a better position or is that still just not even worth? So you can play this, yeah, this is a good move. Now knight f6 is probably the best move. Queen f6 is a very decent move because he might take your knight. That's actually possible in this maiden one. Imagine right. what, what, what that would create. The problem is again, if he knows what to do, he plays bishop to e3 here, then queen f6 is a slightly inaccurate move. We basically trans transpose into theory, but I would, you know what, why don't you risk it? I would just risk it. Sometimes I do that when I'm like teaching a student. I'm like, fuck it, just go all in. Yeah. And I think he and I are saying the same thing. Kind like, why don't you just risk it? I'm like, yeah. fuck it, just go all in. Yeah. Like, he has to call. Yeah. You know? Uh, the reason I bring this up is because I think there is this barrier, whether money or not, and it's language. Like, I don't understand. Like, I kind of understand he's saying like F6 is definitely a, a portion of the piece. Yeah. Right? But what does he mean when transposed to theory? Like, I don't know what that means. Well, I, I, what it means is what we don't understand or what we don't communicate very well in poker. So I, I get what he's saying there, and I think it's beautifully said, and we don't talk this way enough in poker. What he's saying is in a vacuum where we understand perfectly what what the EV of all these moves are, the highest EV move for, for your opponent, if he knows what he's doing, was the last one that he demonstrated. I, I, I don't know what it was. Bishop to the something. F7, yeah, yeah. 35. Four. Right, exactly, right. Uh, and he's saying, but then we're transposing into theory because we have to make the assumption that he's playing perfectly. So what he's actually saying is, why don't you understand you're not against a grandmaster, so it's unlikely that he's playing perfectly, and the EV differential between these two moves is really just predicated upon how he counters. So if you gain EV... By him having an improper counter, just risk it, mm. right? It's it's not a big loss, right? No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's that's well said in their language, right? The alpha thirty five four. Sure, it's that's the other thing too. It's like yes, you're right that the barrier of entry learning wise is difficult, and uh, it, it's kind of a it is in poker too, but it's fugazi because in poker all you need to know is what beats what, mm -hmm. and you feel like you're equipped to play. That's not true. In chess, all you need to know is the board, right? Uh, and and, and how the and how moves. the and how the yeah. pieces technically move, and that feels more complex, right? Because now they're each square is assigned uh, a, a letter and a number, 
right? So maybe it's like E1 or, or whatever, like across the board. But it wouldn't take that long to learn the grid. Yeah. You know, it would just be like pretty intuitive. It's like, okay, this row is A, B, C, D, E, and these numbers are one, two, three, four, five, whatever. So like eventually you'll learn it. You'll learn how the pieces move. It'll take longer than learning the ranking, the hand ranking chart in poker. But the reality is that once you have both of those things fundamentally understood in each game, from that point forward, it is so complex and so nuanced that the ignorance is bliss route of poker is what allows people to retain longer. Whereas in chess, they can objectively say like, okay, right now you're in 800 and you need to learn this, 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 and this to climb the rank to being a 900. Why do you think... Because I was having this discussion yesterday. I, I like the way they teach poker. Mm -hmm. I mean, sorry. Chess. Chess. Yeah. Because there's machines in chess. Yeah. There's solvers in chess, right? But they don't... I feel like they don't... They're not so attached to the solve. Like, they're not just sitting there like... He's not telling him like, oh, let me pull up the solve. Right. Like, yesterday I was watching, you know, someone someone teaching poker. And it was like... He didn't even say anything. He never gave his opinion. Just said, let's run it. He just said every every decision. Let's just run it. Let's right. just run it. It's like, why are you there? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why, why did I like, hire you? Yeah. Like, why are you like? I'll just have like my little sister who's like pretty good at like computers be like, hey, put in these inputs and hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll and I'll see what's going on. Right. Because like he's not even translating at that point. The reason why in chess they're so much more forgiving, and so much more, uh, I guess, willing to experiment, is because they've seen now seven eight nine iterations of stockfish each one pummeling the last what do you mean by stockfish it, that was the the original chess engine oh okay right so the current version of it would just absolutely destroy the first version of it mm. and with each iteration they recognize that the machine gets better what they should also recognize is that the machine was originally flawed so if they took it as the letter of the law they were wrong mm. right they were quote unquote wrong if we're judging in a black and white world where we're only talking about optimal and suboptimal, they were suboptimal. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, Google launched, um, not alpha go, the other one, alpha something. Alpha go was the go program, but alpha, whatever was their chess program and it destroyed stockfish. Right. So it's like the computer keeps getting better. Humans are dragging their feet behind. They can never have the bandwidth to perform at the level of a computer. We just won't see humans beat computers from this point forward, right? Like eventually we're going to get into uh, quantum computing power and things that like will just blow your mind. Like what's going to happen in the next 20 to 30 years, technologically speaking, is going to be revolutionary. And we have to accept that that's not our greatest value as human beings, right? Our greatest value is the ability to zoom out and take the 10,000 foot approach and parse a lot of really dense, nuanced information into something that's applicable uh, on a wide scale kind of, kind of way. We're good at art. We're good at music. We're good at uh, things that aren't necessarily binary code. Social genius. Geniusing. Sure. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. But we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're not good uh, we're, we're not good at the ones and zeros, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're much better at broad strokes and, and being human, being flawed. Like we, we find a lot of beauty in our flaws. That's where a lot of our 
uh, ultimate growth comes from an evolution, right? So I think in chess, what they recognize is like, okay, we have solutions and they're going to be very illuminating as far as like how we can grow the way we think about this game from a 10,000 uh, foot point of view, but we can never mimic them. So what they need to be doing is looking at these engines and saying like, okay, why did that occur? What bigger principle can I attach that to that can help me understand why this machine, which is infinitely better at parsing and iterating than I ever could be, arrived at that solution, right? So effectively, it's, it's like looking at the answer in the back of a math book, but still having to show your work. They're filling in the gap, showing in the work. And that's something that we will eventually start to prioritize in poker. And it's what we personally here put an emphasis on in our teaching. But currently speaking, everybody's just so enamored that answers exist in an otherwise uh, imperfect information world that they're getting hung up on a calculation that absolutely doesn't transpose into their environment. I agree. I was having this, you know, during my lesson this week on in homeschool, there was a spot that was, it was fairly simple, but it was like, we have tens on like, what was the exact board that we were discussing? King seven, five, yeah. Yeah, King eight, six yeah. or something like that. King eight, five. Yeah. King eight, five. And it was like, okay, we have tens. We bet the flop for third t turn comes like a card less than a, than a 10, mm -hmm. right? That is not an eight. Yeah. And it was like, oh, should we bet or not? And it's like, okay, well, it's simple. Like, theoretically, you shouldn't bet. But if this person's going to call you with an eight and he's not going to check raise you enough and you could just exploitatively bet 35% for value in position and like, it's whatever. Like, but that's not theory. That's just knowing. And there was a time probably like last year or like a year or a half ago where I probably wouldn't even have said that. I right. would have just like omitted that from the situation. One, because... I don't want someone to challenge me and be like, oh, that's not theoretically correct. Or, exactly. You, know, it's just, it's you like, don't want them to run the solve and say like tens is like a 3% bet here. Right. And it's like, yeah, but like there are parameters that would allow you clearly to bet here. And you should know that if you want to become better, because if I don't tell you that, then you're just missing out on that, right. that aspect. But that comes with a certain level of responsibility for one, me be able to explain the parameters well, and two, them to be able to implement the parameters well. And I think that's where everybody's a little afraid. Yeah, that's nuance, right? Mm. That that's that's what makes talent in this game. That's ultimately what derives your bottom line. And, and, what what people really don't take to heart enough is that this is a zero sum game, and that if we all were capable of doing what the solver does, no one would make any money. So where's the money coming from? You can't just be arrogant enough to say that the money is coming from a bunch of people who don't know what you know, and are giving up EV because that's not true. Everybody's looking at the same fucking outputs, right? Like somebody commented in our YouTube that uh, you're awful mm -hmm. because you raise called off a 35, cut off first button in a tournament uh, with jacks. And that's just a pure four bet shove. They have the, the range converter ranges and you're not allowed to call with jacks. I'm not allowed. <laughs> so I replied. They deleted like, the button off my. I, I replied and I said like, if that's a pure shove, can you explain to me how much EV Christian's actually losing? And I, I assume we're also assuming that you're playing perfectly because, well, you have those ranges. So you're obviously at equilibrium, right? Uh, so, you know, what's the EV loss here? How, how much of a hit does he take? And, like, <laughs> what's so laughable is, like, 
calling with jacks doesn't turn to negative ev yeah it can't lose money right it can't <laughs> lose money at all right it's like if if shoving is like plus x calling might be plus x minus like a fraction mm -hmm. right maybe and that's assuming that he's playing perfectly right if he's ever too wide with his three bet right. or not traversing post flop correctly right because of the entire tree c betting too frequently the yeah. whole tree changes the second those three cards come off right like he could have had a perfect three bet range pre but if he doesn't know what he's doing on every single flop texture and he gives up any level of ev right like if you get one single street of value off of him where he has an inferior hand and shouldn't have bet it or shouldn't have called with it all of that negates the, the 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 question i always you know when i see those comments of like oh christian's bad because he didn't four bet shove jacks off 35 you know cut off his button i always sit there and i'm like does he think that i don't know that that's a shove or like what like does he think i don't know that i could just shove there and i and i just yeah. sit, and i and i just sit there like that's a that's a very easy it's easy for me to shove it's like oh i don't want to play the hand anymore i'm all in you know right but it's like and i wrote this to you and i'm like I almost feel like writing back like why I probably didn't shove. It's like you're either too wide, so I want to call, or you're too tight, right? So I want to not shove. Yeah. Like it's one of the two things. You're on a you're not playing equilibrium, which is probably why I didn't shove. You're on what you're on a spectrum one like way on one what of the other What you're really two ends. saying is I don't respect you enough to shove. Yeah. I don't think that you are so elite that the only thing I can choose is the inexploitable play. Correct. Which is shoving. Yeah. I'm going to start writing that. Yeah. Like what you're really <laughs> saying is I think I'm better than you in some capacity, whether it's navigating post-flop or it's un understanding your range construction through this action. And that's going to allow me to either keep you wide and stack more hands or tighten you up and uh, allow me to make exploitative folds. In any event, you're basically saying like we are not equal. And I don't know if I have the edge or you have the edge, but what I'm certain of is that you haven't neutralized this situation to the point where I have so much respect for you that I'm only going to make the unexploitable play. I think that's true. I think yeah. that's exactly what happened. Like, I didn't want to tell him that, but that's pretty much what happened. I, and it was interesting because I was like, man, this guy's been saying this for like three and a half weeks. Like, I don't remember the hand. Right. Like, I don't, I don't remember the hand. Oh, he I'm, stacked you. No way. Yeah, yeah, queens. Oh, wow. So I should have shoved pre and just got it in. Got stacked anyway. Okay, so what happened was uh, it came 10 high, yeah. and I check shoved. Yeah. And he had queens. But yeah. if I got it in pre, he had queens. Yeah. So I gave myself a chance. If it came ace, king, x, yeah. maybe it just goes check, 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 and I don't lose. Right. Mm. So I was right. He's probably too tight. <laughs> <laughs> so I called, and then I was like, okay, this is a pretty good board, even against a tight range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm all in. Yeah. And it's like, damn it, he's still tight. <laughs> right. Like, does he think that he's just wrecking you with ace five suited? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's like, oh, if he doesn't shove jacks there, like, my ace five suited just prints. It's like, does it? No, it doesn't <laughs> print. But hey, to each their own. Oh, God bless these guys, man. I'll be there next week. All right. So to wrap up the segment of content with poker, Andrew, Nimi, and Brad Owen have started releasing videos again. Brad Owen released a video, and I want to showcase how many views it has in roughly 24 hours. Okay. So let's put that up.
184,000 at the time of production. By now, I've been told in my microphone right now or in my headphones that it's over 200,000. I mean, that's pretty good. That, And I want to say that because, you know, obviously he's good at what he does. Mm -hmm. But also people are craving content. For sure. For sure. So what is the path? Because, like, obviously we're trying to create content. There's people out there that want this content. Like, how do we get this chess boom? How do we get people caring about Brad Owen? How do, how do we build this hype? I think some of it is youth, right? Like, I, I think... I think really some of it comes from cultivating a young up and coming 20 something who is, you know, socially aware and able to carry themselves in a fun way, yet uh, a somewhat professional way as well, because they build TikTok, mm -hmm. right? They build IG, they build out these social platforms that we're a little bit less in tune with as the older guard. And from that, that spills into a YouTube channel and things like that. Like what Owen and Nimi have accomplished should not be scoffed at. It's very impressive, mm -hmm. right? When I was talking earlier about like uh, them not being able to scale to Negrano, I still think that's true. But they're testing the upper boundaries. And I think that's really impressive because that's a hard thing to achieve, you know, especially like in an industry that doesn't exactly lend itself to aesthetics. It's not easy to display this game in a fun way. And what is abundantly clear is that people are loyal to people, not to brands. Yeah. If you look at Triton, Paul Fua, Poker Central, even our stuff, right? I think like one of the biggest mistakes that I made when we first launched was launching the Solve for Why YouTube channel instead of just the Matt Berkey YouTube channel. Mm. I think it's what Polk did smartly. Yeah. yeah. Polk's YouTube channel. 250,000 subs. Upswing's YouTube channel, 25,000 subs. Right, right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. People want to be loyal to another person. So it's like big oversight, very difficult challenge to overcome. Don't know how to get around it, right? And the issue is that the only people who are going to be able to mass produce content are going to be brands. So how do we, how do we create that loyalty throughout the space? And I don't know. Right. We don't have that. Uh, I, Poker Central Poker Go is the closest thing we see to that central media entity that can take the reins here. But it's just not happening. Right. They have all of these licensing deals to get all of this content out and no one's fucking watching. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a thing. It's like an interpersonal thing where people are like, I kind of relate to him. I also think he's pretty good at poker. I learn a little bit from his channel mm -hmm. and I get that vibe as if. They're almost like living, how do you say that? When you're living through some, through vicariously. some, yeah, living vicariously yeah. through, through Brad Owen. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you want to live vicariously through me, more, no, know more about the swingers and all that stuff that we used to talk about. I got you, man. Tune into the channel, like the channel, subscribe. I'll be here talking about swingers, talking about beefs, talking about chess, talking about black lives matter, talking about, I mean, what more do they want? It's not just poker though. It's it's yeah, it's it's uh, industry wide, right? Like Joe Rogan is bigger than on it, mm -hmm. but Joe Rogan owns a piece of on it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it, it's just the nature of of humans in that they yeah. want to connect with somebody personally. But nothing's bigger than Google. No, but Google doesn't have a YouTube channel. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg is not bigger than Facebook. 
I don't know. And that's a close one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Trump is not bigger than Trump. I guess he is now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to introduce a new segment to the show. We'll see if people like it. We'll see. You know, we're testing the boundaries, see, throwing a little spice. So you've been big on online poker. We've never thought we'd see the day. Now you're back on the online streets, grinding all the time. And the truth of the matter is, is that you're tired of people talking shit about you and you want to throw some shit, some shade at the other people. A little bit. Because here's the thing. I've seen some shit, man. From, from good players. These are all regs. I'll, yeah. I'll never post a hand that's, that's not a reg. Okay. These are all regs. I've, I've you know them. Deleted their names for, for uh, to the protect, sake of yeah, protect the innocent. Exactly, but yeah, they're all regs, and there is some wild stuff happening in these streets. So these are regulars online that are pros. People, I would know them. I would know them if I went to register right now at the seventeen hundred at Venetian, and he was at my table. I would be like, oh, that's this person. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Some of them are like Jersey regs, whatever. I know Jersey regs. I'm Jersey. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Okay, um, I know. But whatever, like, the whole point is that, like, yeah, they, they are professional poker players. They're professional poker players. All right, and so. 10, 20, no limit. That's high stakes. That's pretty high stakes. You have, like, rents on the line. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So this segment is called, Is This GTO? Is This Game Theory Optimal? Let's play it. I will walk through the hand history. Okay, so is this GTO? We see a limp, probably from a recreational player. Mm -hmm. You're going to raise to 80, Berkey 11, get three bet to 220. The flop is 653, face a small bet. Small raise from you, call, check, check. Okay, 10, check, check. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, so I wanna walk through this hand, right? Because yeah. this is important right now. Yeah. Um, you get three bet. From the big blind. Yeah. Usually a really polarized range. But Should he, be. But he used a small sizing. Wasn't small. He made it 220? 220 or 240. Yeah, you made it 80. Yeah, okay, fair. Yeah. So relatively small sizing. So he's not, he, you know, he has a, a pretty all-encompassed range. Then on the flop, he chooses a small sizing. Something like 40%. Yeah. And you choose a small raise. Yeah. I like this raise as like a protection raise slash value raise. I probably would have chose a slightly bigger size, maybe like 500, but I think it's fine. I think this presents a lot of problems, but I don't think he's folding. Like, well, I don't want him to fold. I have jacks. Yeah, that's true. Like, But he's not folding like ace-king either. Okay. Yeah. Why is that a problem? Eh, I mean, yeah, you're right. Okay, so then he calls. Mm -hmm. So now the turn's a deuce. This is a bad card for his range. Definitely right. a better card for you than him. You could be raising some four X's. You can have five four suited. You can have spades. Okay. Okay. So this pro, he checks. You check back. Okay. You know, there could be argument for a small bet there for range purposes, but check back's nice. You have jack. Sure. River's a 10. He checks. And now you have the jack high flush. You have to decide, okay, do I ever get called by worse? Maybe sometimes. Do you ever get check raised? That would be terrible. Uh, so you choose to check, which is fine. He had five deuce of clubs. <laughs> this guy's playing professional poker at high limits. Is that GTO? He had fourteen hundred dollars in front of him. I paid my rent is a thousand. Yeah. No, it's not GTO. GTO. <laughs> is he using a polarized three bet range preflop? Look, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't even want to be that critical. It's hood. Whatever. It's He's hood? out in the streets. The whole thing I don't understand. What street is that? 
I mean, he's getting gangster. He thinks I'm Lucky Lane? I don't fucking know. <laughs> That's fucking Lucky Lane right there. Well, the whole thing I don't understand is... <laughs> yeah, I'm isolating a, a limper who is likely a recreational player. Mm-hmm. But you got five high. <laughs> like, good hands kind of just want to keep the wreck in. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get it if you have, like, kings or queens you want to protect, you know, and play a big pot against me who's likely light, yada, yada, yada. But, like, you know... You got like good hands, like ace queen, aces. Sometimes you just want to call there and let like I, the other guy come in. I think this is the best marketing we could do for WSOP.com. Mm. You know, they should they should be like sponsoring us now. People in this people watching this are gonna play 1020 now. Sure, sure. The this games is, are good. I've completed the hundred K challenge. You low completed. key. Low key on the low. I'm just, uh, I mean, I didn't, you know, I played some bigger stakes, but uh, a lot of it's been like 10, 20 plus. The games are fucking good. The games are very live-like. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, I play I play 5-10 at the win. They don't 3-bet the 5-deuce. I've played in games where they 3-bet the 5-deuce. I get I get 3-bet by the 5-deuce. I've never gotten 3-bet by the 5-deuce. Unless maybe I didn't have, see it. You need the face. Maybe I didn't see it. You know, you need that face equity. Like I got, I want to do this though. I'm I'm gonna put this out like on social every single day. Just like, is this GTO? I'm just gonna keep throwing up hand histories. I think I think people are gonna be curious. I think you're gonna get the DMs like, who was that? I'm never telling who it is, but I think it's like I, I think it's good to illuminate that this game isn't played in a vacuum, right? Like, I can't study for the five deuce three bet. You know? Yeah, you like, didn't, you didn't give him the, you didn't give him the two pair on the turn. Right. Like <laughs> I think I have a really close decision, both turn and river. Like super close. Because that should be a really polarizing three bit range. Like, you know, if it's linear in nature, we're talking like tens or king queen at the bottom, probably. Mm-hmm. And some of them are gonna be spades. Right. So it's like it's super close. Like I'm I'm obviously uh that doesn't demonstrate like how much time is being taken on each street. On the river, like I tanked for a long time. It's like can I ever get called by red aces here? And and like, because like that's really what you're targeting. There's no worse spade, you wouldn't think. Yeah, arguably like nines, but who knows? Maybe that's sure. It, but, sure, know. I mean, it seems ambitious. Yeah, but. it's ambitious for sure. Ah, is this GTO? Uh, so there's been a lot of shots taken in this. Uh, it started with the guru. The guru. I still don't know his name. Uh, this person with the five deuce also don't know his name. Allegedly, could be the guru too. Uh, <laughs> WSOP got shots taken. The only thing that got good is the chess. I didn't take shots at WSOP. I think they're doing what they should do. I don't like it. I wish they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But it it's their Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, it's their Christmas lights. So uh, Here's another way of framing this. Not, not to circle all the way back. But uh, if you regularly charge 1.05 for a 10K, mm-hmm. should you charge 1.05 for the main event? No, of course not not close why well because the ev of the main event is higher like for sure your christmas yeah yeah Yeah. supply and demand you'd get eaten up everybody would buy you at 1.05 you got to challenge the the market boundaries right yeah for sure you price according to what people are willing to pay yeah that's all they're doing that's That's all they're doing that's a good point so i hope you all enjoyed the show of course subscribe like share with your friends and of course it is myself, Christian Soto, my co-host, Matt Berkey, Matt Big Bet Berkey. Good night. And good night.